You're listening to the Open Podcasts. Like I remember my overall thing being that I thought I was going to win. Nothing else really came into my head. Like I didn't think at the, by the time this had come round and I'd been had my coach in my ear all week telling me I was going to win. You know, and then it kind of started to happen. Yeah, I just thought it was going to happen. Difficult to believe he's well done what he's done today because uh, I mean that was a steely performance when you're right at the top of the leaderboard. Unbelievable, really. The history of amateurs in the Open goes back to 1861, where non-professionals first competed in the second playing of the championship. Less than three decades later, John Ball became the first amateur to win the championship one of just three amateurs alongside Harold Hilton and Bobby Jones to ever lift the claret jug. But no amateur has won the Open since Jones last did in 1930. And in modern times, it has become increasingly rare to see non-professionals with a chance to win. But in 2015 at St Andrews, a young 22-year-old Irish talent threatened to end that 85-year run and achieve the unthinkable on the old course. Oh yes, another one. There is no stopping this young man. This is Tales of the Open. This is the story of Paul Dunn. Dunn was born in 1992 in Dublin and grew up in County Wicklow. There he learned his golf at his local club, where he not only discovered his natural talent quickly, but became inspired by the Open Championship. I started, like, I'm from a, a town called Greystones, which is in the north side of Wicklow on the east coast of Ireland. And, um, you know, kind of very family-oriented town where there's lots of clubs, you can play every sport. So you could join the golf club when you were 10. Um, so I played there every Saturday for to start. And I just kind of played golf with the people, the same people I'd play football with, and you know, or the other sports that I was playing as a kid. That was just the way the town worked. And then, yeah, every Saturday kind of went to you know, twice, three times a week. And then by the time I was, you know, 11 or 12, it was every day I could go up. So that would have been about, you know, 2004, 2005. I remember I used to sit up in the, the golf club has a TV room. So I used to go and, and just sit and, and I loved it because it was just like all day coverage. So you'd get like every shot the whole day and I'd go in and then you know, you'd kind of, you get a bit of motivation after a couple of hours watching and you go out and do an hour of practice and then back into the golf club TV room and you'd watch a little bit more. And I always remember Peter Alice's voice. Done, the amateur. Come on, young fella. Just right of centre with a little bit of pace. Well done, indeed. That's kind of the scene I remember, just sitting around like this boardroom table in the golf club on my own. Uh, watching Peter Alice talk on the TV and and uh, then kind of having little spots of motivation where I couldn't watch it anymore because I needed to play and then I played and come back in and watch it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it would have been that era kind of when you know Tiger was playing great and he would have been the the person I would have looked up to the most when I was a kid and uh, and then obviously in two thousand and seven two thousand eight would probably be my most vivid memories of watching watching Padraig win in in, in Carnoustie and in Birkdale so. Yeah, it was pretty pretty inspiring tournament to watch when I was younger, for sure. Dunn's progression at Greystones was swift, and he was already one of the best young prospects in Ireland by his late teenage years. But it was a snowstorm in his home country that helped dictate the next move in his golfing life to the University of Alabama. Yeah, well, I mean, I always wanted to be a pro golfer. 
but it was always just more of a dream. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like a, you know, this is my rightful passage to to go here. It was just always, I, I kind of was, that was my, my long-term dream. And then you're kind of staying in, in wherever your present was, you know? So at the time when I was going to college in the States, I actually wasn't planning on going. Um, normally you decide maybe a couple of years in advance because the, the US teams have to sort out their scholarship situation and assign people to different uh, things. So I didn't decide until February in my last year in school, which is very late. I was lucky that there was a spot open for me. I was I was planning on going to the golf scholarship in Maynooth, Patrick Harrington scholarship there in Ireland. Um, but I remember I, I was just really wanted to practice. I And it, we had some bad snow in Ireland. Uh, and I was out at the golf course and I had a rake from one of the bunkers and I'd raked a patch of snow clear so I had a bit of grass and then my dad stood a couple hundred yards away and I was hitting balls at my dad while he had the binoculars out and he was trying to he was trying to see the balls so they could land and not lose them in the snow and then he could pick them up so we were doing that and I remember thinking after about a half an hour I was thinking what am I doing here you know there's so many people around the world practicing in these great places getting better it was almost like you're trying to you're trying to make do with what you have, but there was an option to go somewhere where it would have been much easier. So that's kind of when I, I really started to try and pursue going to the States. And, and like I said, I was lucky that there was a spot open at UAB for me. Uh, and uh, I went on a visit a couple of weeks later and and science. So it all happened pretty quickly. I'm in Greenstone Island, that's the UAB University, University of Alabama. I found it really a place to make it better. So it was a a blessing in disguise, we had that few weeks of snowstorm in Ireland back then. Whilst at university, Dunn maintained an excellent amateur record in the British and Irish Isles, and on a whim in 2014, decided to enter open qualifying at Woburn. Yeah, it was strange. So I, I played the Palmer Cup the week before in Walton Heath, and the qualifier was at Woburn, so they weren't too far away. I don't remember why I got exempt to final stage as an amateur. I don't remember what the rule was, if I was certain ranking or because I was on that team or something, but I didn't have to do regional qualifying. So I entered really because it, it, it suited. You know, I was over there anyway. It was on a couple of days after and I got exempt into it. So I thought, why not give it a go? So I'd entered uh, and again, like it was the first ever professional anything I'd played in. I'd never got an invite to play in the Irish Open as an amateur or anything like that. So for me, it was, it, it was a shot in the dark, really, because you know there's only three spots. And in my head, the pros were so much better than me. You know, I was just an amateur. and But I went anyway, and uh, I remember I really liked the golf course in Woburn. And I shot a nice round of five under, I think, the first, first round. And I still I had no idea how that was going to leave me because, again, in my head, there's only three people. Like, so three people are going to shoot 10 under, you know. And then all of a sudden you come in and you find out that you're kind of around the lead and you've got a chance and then the buzz starts coming uh, and you're just trying to block it out of your head as much as you can. Now, interesting story from that one actually is I played in Woburn. If anyone's ever been there, the practice area is quite a bit of a walk from the clubhouse. And I was starting on number 10 and I was playing behind Monty. Uh, so I remember I left the range they said to leave plenty of time so I left the range 25 minutes before my tea time which I thought was loads and took 5 or 10 minutes to walk back up to the clubhouse and then we had to wait for a bus to take us to the tent tea so I get in the bus 10 minutes before my tea time and the bus driver tells us it's a 15 minute drive to the tent tea 
So at this stage, you know, we're like, you need to make this 10 minute drive. And I think I had 15 or 20 seconds left when I got to the first tee before I would have got penalized for missing my tee time. So in that way, it probably took the nerves out of the first tee shot because I was just so happy to be on the tee. But yeah, and then look, the moment that you get in, I ended up winning the qualifier and you sit in the clubhouse and there's so many emotions going on because you're so happy that you've done well. You also then feel like, you know, I can do this as a pro. And then you kind of get the a little bit of fear and nerves hit you as well that you actually have to play in the open a couple of weeks later. Um, yeah, and then like my dad was beside me and then he had the kind of, he was straight into organization mode. Like, where are we going to stay? Where, how are we going to get there? All this stuff. So yeah, like a definitely a roller coaster of a few days and you know, great experience for me and my family, you know, so. But I, yeah, it was Royal Liverpool was my first one. Don was right. He did have to play in the Open. Just a few weeks later, he was at Royal Liverpool for his first professional event and looking to emulate the great Irish success at golf's original major, including two of his compatriots who were soon to be champion golfers. I mean, it was definitely, it was, it was definitely a dream coming true to play. It, it, it felt weird. It was like a, you know, you get that imposter syndrome when you're at the when you're at the course and Tiger's there and Adam Scott's playing and Rory's leading the event and, and like you're just so used to watching on TV that it feels weird to be in that environment with them and, and also strange to have so many people watching because you know the, the, the biggest crowd I would have played in front of before it might have been four or five hundred people you know in the final round of an amateur event or something and, and all of a sudden there's just tens of thousands of people roaming around and the hustle and bustle and then just the carnage of the whole thing it was kind of hard, hard to stay focused Paul Dunn, Irish amateur, qualified by shooting 67-67 in the final qualifying at Woburn. But yeah, like it was definitely inspiring. You know, I, I didn't really know Rory at the time. Rory was just, uh, he was up on a pedestal for us, you know, because even when, he's a few years older than me, but he would have punched way above his weight as an amateur. He would have been playing the senior stuff from a very young age. Shane, I would have known a, a little bit more. And then obviously the recent success Shane has had at the Open and stuff is, is really a, a kind of a driving factor moving forward. But I, I have a couple of memories that are really vivid, you know, because again, this was like, this was my first tournament then as a pro outside of the qualifier and talk about being thrown in the deep end. I remember my first thought was that I wanted to go and get some free stuff. <laughs> you know, I was straight into the tour trucks to see what, what kind of new gizmos and new clubs I could get off them. Um, then I went to the range and I was hitting balls beside Tiger. You know, I was I was hitting balls in the spot and then a couple of spots over, there was no one in between us. He sat down and, or he put his bucket of balls down and started hitting as well, uh, which was really surreal, you know, because he would be my hero as a kid. Then I had a relationship with Shane back in the amateur, Shane Larry back in the amateur days. So he sent me a message when I got in and said, do you want to play a practice round on, I don't forget if it was Monday or Tuesday, I think it was Monday. So. We, we got up to the tee Monday afternoon, uh, just the two of us. And then Adam Scott walked up and asked, could he join us? And at the time, Adam Scott was world number one. You know, so, yeah, I remember myself as much as I could off that first tee. And I actually hit a really nice shot off the first. And I was so happy I didn't embarrass myself. And then I think it, I topped a three with off the second. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was one of those weeks where everything was kind of a little bit overwhelming probably took away from the focus on trying to play as well as I could, um, but it's just a great experience all around. For Don, 
The experience at Royal Liverpool for the 143rd Open was surreal and perhaps overwhelming, but one that the County Wicklow native will never forget. And while Don missed the cut at Hoylake, he knew he was certainly heading in the right direction with his golf. Further progress at university then precipitated more excellent results in early 2015, before Dunn graduated from university with his degree that summer. A career in the professional game was seemingly right around the corner, but Dunn had one more summer of amateur golf to play, and little did he know just how remarkable his summer would be, starting with qualifying for the 144th Open at St Andrews. Again, coming through Woburn. That was my last year in college and I, I finished the year off quite strong. You know, I played well at the NCAAs to kind of finish off my college career. My game was in good shape and when I came back then for the summer, I think I played I played the East of Ireland straight away as soon as I got back and I finished second. Then we went to the European Team Championships and I played there and I, I played okay in the first round of qualifying and the second round I didn't play very well and so there's six people on the team, you know, and they pick four to play in the morning and five to play in the afternoon. And they they picked the team for the the matches and I I got dropped for both games, right? Which I remember, like, it gave me a real chip on my shoulder because whoever picked the team, you know, I, I was kind of like, I'm not playing bad enough to be dropped twice. Like, I know I had one bad round, but, you know, I've had a pretty good few months here. I remember the open qualifying was kind of the week after and I knew I was turning pro soon you know so I was kind of more in the mindset of transitioning from amateur golf anyway and trying to get into the to the pro rank so like I think my game is in good shape I something that week before had given me my chip a chip on my shoulder anyway and then I was going into qualifying knowing that I'd done it before on a course that I liked and could do it again so it was very different that year like I was going in with full intention and expectation to be in the top three in 2014 when I went to qualifying it was I was completely winging it and just seeing what it what it was all about so that gave me a lot of confidence to go in kind of with that expectation and then play well but again when I when I finished off that qualifying in 2015 the it was kind of the same emotion because I had always had in my head after 2014 that you know I'd played I think I missed the cup by two but that I'd experienced it once I knew what it was about so if I got into it again you know, I'd be able to to kind of put the distractions aside and focus on the golf a bit more and and perform better, right? So I, I had that in my head. But again, as soon as I qualified, you had that realization of like, it got real, you know? It's like, I had to do this again, you know? And all this belief that I had in my head that if I had another chance, I'd do better. Now I had to prove it. So the nerves started to kick in then a little bit. Um, and then I'd only ever played St Andrews once in, in an amateur event and I'd missed the cut and didn't particularly like it at first. So I was going in feeling like I had something to prove. So I think everything kind of went, there, there was a snowball effect of, of everything, you know, that my game was in good shape. Uh, I played well under pressure leading up to it when I'd expected to play well and there had been things that had ticked me off leading up to it. The signs were good for Dunn early in the week at St Andrews, and with a bit of extra motivation helping to drive him forward, the young Irish star was confident he could make the cut. But Dunn and his coach weren't strangers to even more ambitious thoughts. 
And I, I had my college coach come over, who knew me really well, to, to caddy. And he was in my ears in the practice round because I was playing really nicely. That, you're like, you're playing well enough to win this tournament. He says, I don't care what they call the tournament. I don't care if it's the Open or if it's, you know, the Irish Amateur. He said, around this golf course, the way you're playing, you should be looking to do more than just make the cut. A couple of people from my home club were there and they were watching me play in the practice rounds. And I think the bookies were giving me four to one to make the cut. And they, they were running to every bookie they could find because I think there was like a hundred euro max bet. So that half of the town had about 10 or 15 different bets on with different bookies. <laughs> the start of the week, I didn't know that obviously, but they told me after. Um, but yeah, like that was it for me. I was going into that, that one very much with a, a mindset of trying to do well rather than just being happy to be there, you know. I knew I could make the cut, you know. I only missed it by two the year before and I didn't feel like I didn't play particularly well. And uh, But then when he started talking about it, like, why don't you just win the tournament? That's when you're kind of like, ah, would you go away with yourself, you know. What kind of mushrooms have you been eating? <laughs> but yeah, like it's, it's, a funny, it's a funny game, you know. It's one of the only games in the world where the thousand best player in the world can beat world number one multiple times you know it's just it's the the ultimate carrot at the end of the stick uh game because everyone thinks they can do it you know and everyone can and like when i broke i i remember breaking it down in my head that week that like whatever was going to like if, if 16 under is going to win you know you have to shoot four under four times and i knew i could shoot four under on that course easy enough the way i was playing so that made it seem much seem much more attainable rather than saying i'm going to win the open well you look at all the names around you and you think, how am I going to beat all of them? So yeah, it was pretty life-changing that year, to be honest. A very warm welcome to the 144th Open Golf Championship from the old Grey Toon of St Andrews, the home of golf, where the atmosphere has been building all week. But the 22-year-old Irish amateur from Greystones, Paul Dunn, has had his moments of magic as well, including that putt for a birdie on the ninth to go out in 32. He'd had three birdies in the first five holes. Very promising young amateur, very well known in Irish circles for a few years now. Yeah, well, I, I remember the, the first round, I was obviously, I was pleased enough. I played very early. I think I teed off at 6.40. Uh, so I got the best of the weather. It was very calm. And I, I birdied the first two to start. So 69 for me at the end, it was like I was pleased with it, but it could have been better, you know, like there could have been a 66. Uh, so I had that, you know, I got the best of the conditions because I remember sitting in the house watching it after and we had the plan that if, the, if they put the pin back left on 17, that I would try and miss the green long left, take the bunker out of play and have a simple little chip up from behind the 18 tee. So I'd hit a good drive on 17 and I'd hit three iron. It was a little bit into the wind. So I'd hit three iron, just long left, and got up and down for par. So that was a, like one of the toughest hole of the day, kind of out of the way, and, and the toughest flag they could have there. But uh, I was watching it in the afternoon, I think it was Ricky Fowler. Well, this is a very aggressive play from Ricky Fowler, 261 yards way over on the left-hand side, deciding to go in with wood. Uh, hit driver three wood short of the front edge, and the pin's on like 40 yards, so you know, he's hit driver three wood. 45, 50 yards behind where I've hit driver three iron. So the wind had definitely picked up in the afternoon. So I so I played in the best of the conditions. So I wasn't particularly thrilled with my round, but I wasn't disappointed. 
In she goes for Paul Dunn, a very good round and some good support for the young Irish amateur. And she came through in qualifying as he did last year and that's a, a fine start. After a first round of 69, Dunn set out on Friday to progress further. Uh, the Friday round for me was, was something I was much more pleased with. Uh, I played like a heavy crosswind off the left on the front line and off the right on the back line. And like the conditions were tricky. And like everyone knows, you put, like, in the wind, the putting is the problem, you know. It's hard to hit it really close. It's hard to hit it close in St Andrews anyway when they took the flags, but uh, it's hard to hit it close, so you have to hold putts. And it's harder to hold putts with a heavy 20 mile an hour wind. So um, I was really pleased with that second round. There we go, I look at the amateur leaderboard and Roman Longask is not long into his round. He's one under par for his round, but Paul Dunn, what a, a round he's got going on. He's a fellow who is very well known in Ireland. He's finishing off on the 18th. And well finished. Absolutely brilliant from Paul Dunn. Just that one mistake when he missed a tiddler of putt on the 16th. A round of 69 has him at tied ninth at six under. Brilliant play. A birdie on 18 put Dunn at six under and inside the top 10 at the close of play on Friday. And then I almost felt like a weight was lifted off me because I'd, in my head, I had to make the cut. You know, I couldn't miss it twice in a row. So, yeah, like I, I slept really easy that night. So I enjoyed my dinner and, you know, felt like I'd kind of proven something to myself, which was was kind of the goal of the week and then from then on my game just felt like it was in good shape and sorry kind of freewheel at home suddenly the 22 year old had the likes of dustin johnson jason day jordan spieth adam scott hideki matsuyama and louis westhazen for company but due to some adverse weather he would have to wait an extra day to get his weekend action underway and to see who he'd be playing with in round three yeah i remember I don't think I played any golf on Saturday. They, they had a delay for flooding and they had a delay for wind. As predicted, they said it was going to be Armageddon. I think it's rather worse than that. And the ground staff now are, as you see, doing their very best to try and prepare things for play. So, however it worked, I didn't play until Sunday at all, which was strange. So I, I, just, I got a day off. You never get a day off in a tournament. And I remember like kicking a rugby ball around the beach with my, with my brother and... Uh, like it was so windy that if you tried to kick a Gary on up in the air, it would just blow 20 yards behind you. So um, I was pretty happy I wasn't out in the golf course. Again, like, you know, for those weeks to, to be in the position I was at the position in my career, to like things have to go your way. And I got the best side of the draw, definitely. Yeah, we, we had a house. So I, in the house was like my mum and dad, my brother and sister, and a couple of my brother's friends. Um, and then my coach, who was caddying for me. So we had a pretty full house, like, so we just kind of hung out and went down and got some lunch and came back. And I remember I thought at five or six o'clock, I'll go to the course and do some practice because the wind will die down a bit. So I was kind of around the beach area just, and then I went up to the golf course at I think five and like, there's no way you could practice. You know, I think the roof blew off the caddy's tent. Good evening and welcome to the old course at St Andrews on what has been a very Bizarre third day of the 144th Open Golf Championship. Play started this morning as they resumed the second round at 7 o'clock and it lasted about 35 minutes and they are just now resuming. 
so I, I ended up not hitting a shot. I think I might hit a couple of chips or a couple of putts, and then I just went home. So the, the thing for me, I remember being eager watching the end of the golf because I knew I was in a good position, right? And I, I, would, I wanted to get a draw with a big name. So I was kind of looking at who was finishing kind of around the position I was, so who I get drawn with. And I think I remember it was either going to be Louis or Jason Day. So like either way, I was happy, you know, um, and it worked out great because Louis was great to play with. Uh, but yeah, like I was, I was excited to get and play well, but I was also interested to watch someone who was world-class play, you know, up front. So yeah, that's kind of my mindset going into the, the Sunday, I guess. Paired with Louis Westhazen, Don was finally able to tee off again for his third round on Sunday afternoon. Yet despite Dunn's fine amateur record, huge support in the stands and a confident coach-turned-caddy, few would have truly expected what was to come from the Greystones' talent that day. And it all started on the first hole. This is game number 36 on the tee from Ireland, Paul Dunn. Leading amateur over the first two days was incredibly good yeah I remember like steadily as the week went on there was kind of more and more boatloads of people from Greystones making their way across so there was plenty of support when I was on the first tee obviously I obviously hit the fairway on number one in Sanders like if you ever have a lead like that's the tee shot you want <laughs> but the pin was like back left and I had a good number a pretty easy shot into the first you know and it just happened to hit it really close Pull done playing alongside Oosthuizen oh what a cracking start Pull done equaling Lowest the first 36 holes, which Justin Rose had established in 1998 at Birkdale when he went on to be fourth. What a start this would be. What a start. Must be feeling a little nervy. Um, so that was it. The kind of nerves are gone, off and running. What a great start. It'll settle your nerves. Then I made a nice putt for birdie on number four. And the way that week went, like you had to play well on the front line. The back line was playing more into the wind and playing tougher, so the score was made early. And it's always like number five to par five is the kind of your gift on the front line where you should make a birdie. And the rest of them, you know, while they're playing easy, you still have to either hit it stiff or, or make a 10 to 15 footer, you know. And if you don't make one of them early, starts to get in your head that you have to make the next one because you think everyone else is, you know, three, four, five, under through nine. Done, the amateur, one of the five. Best to go eight under. Well, it's a birdie feast. It's a putting feast. You can call it whatever you like, but it's been a long time since I've seen so many putts hold of good length putts too. The pressure was off then on the front line. I knew I was doing well. And then, you know, I remember I made a, they had a tricky pin on number seven. 
just over the big mound at the front of the green playing downwind and I had like 70 yards in so I tried to hit like a little bump and run up and over the mound it didn't quite get up over it and it came all the way back down and I had a really tricky two putt which I ended up holding you know it was that sort of day awkward little putter this is to judge both for pace and line done quite a severe slope to come out well, the pace is good. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> Superb. Moves to nine under par, one behind. Is it going to be a Cinderella story? A tremendously long birdie putt on the 7th then took Dunn to 3 under par for his round and after finding the target on the par 4 ninth in 2 the Wicklow native faced a putt to go into a share of the lead. Birdie putt for the 22-year-old from Greystones. Yes, the amateur joins the lead in the Open Championship. What about that for... A front nine on a Sunday in the open, third round, but still Chris Wood at Burkdale finished tied fifth as an amateur and uh, Justin Rose going back, so can be done. Indeed. And on the 10th, another wonderful approach set up a great birdie chance. For the outright lead, Paul Dunn. Yeah, the, another moment that kind of sticks in my head was number, number 10. There was a big stand beside the 11th tee box and then a big scoreboard behind the 10th green. And I had about 15 feet for birdie on 10 to go, and maybe five under for the round. But when I looked at the, the leaderboard, that was to go in the lead on my own for the first time. I remember as I was reading the putt, I couldn't help smiling, because I knew if I make this putt, everyone in the crowd is gonna go mental. Can he do it again? It's heading for the hole. He has, 11 under. Paul Dunn leads the Open as an amateur. Do not wake me up. <laughs> and he's got tremendous confidence and obviously a great game. Uh, and then I did, and then I remember the roar and kind of the hair stood up in the back of my neck. And it was just a fun day, you know. Again, like one of those days where the game was under control, you were getting the little breaks that you needed, but the stroke felt good. Now in the lead on his own, Don was in uncharted territory, but kept his composure well. In fact, nearly picking up another stroke at the potentially treacherous 11th hole. And Maureen Medill, you try and keep it away from an Irishman leading the Open. Paul Dunn. Well, it's a real treat to be here, and he's managed to leave his tee shot here at this treacherous 11th hole below the hole, which is no mean feat when the flag's only on 10 yards. Right to left, uphill, just the sort of putt that you really fancy as a birdie opportunity. Not another one. Oh, well, that's a lovely putt. Both Paul Dunn and Jordan Niebrugger, five birdies, no bogeys today, so playing fabulous golf. I see a uh, Paul Dunn in the background there. Dustin Johnson was ambling up to the seventh. I'm sure he's looking at Paul Dunn. And uh, well, wondering perhaps who he is, but he's the man who leads the Open. 
Shortly afterwards, a stunning approach to the 12th hole gave Dunn another great birdie chance. And it's quite challenging for Paul Dunn to get this onto the right section of green. It's a reasonable lie and the grass is lying with him. But it still requires a little degree of luck once the ball lands up and around the bumps and hollows. What a shot. What a shot from Paul Dunn. He is doing extraordinary things at the moment. That to get 12 under to lead on his own again. But this one just slipped by. Dunn? What about him, Maureen? Well, when Dunn played his second, Louis Oosthuizen and his caddy just looked at each other and laughed. It was so ridiculously good. Well, a bit harder it wouldn't have gone in either on that line, I don't think, but might have done. Chance missed, you have to say. When reaching the 15th, Dunn remained five under for his day without a bogey and was still right around the lead. He would soon rejoin it with another stunning putt. Completely unrushed, seems unflappable. He's a significant slope just in front of him here, so a very slow putt. Oh, yes, another one. There is no stopping this young man. Sixth birdie of the day. 12 under, and he's back at a tie for the lead. No fear. As the countdown to the 150th Open at St Andrews continues, the Open's official website has more content than ever before to whet your appetite for a landmark championship. Visit theopen.com today and explore our vast library of videos as well as a host of new features, championship updates, ticket and hospitality information, venue guides, every episode of The Open Podcasts and much more. Well, Paul Dunn is exuding a calmness that is not being displayed by his hundreds of supporters outside the ropes. An important par putt on 16 followed to keep Dunn in the lead before the 22-year-old showed the world how to play the infamous road hole. Like, obviously, with the wind direction, the tee shot on 14 and the tee shot on 17 would be, you know, pretty nerve-wracking, and I hit good shots there, which then built more confidence. Well, it was a healthy cut. Okay. Not much run on that with the cut on it, but you go back and your stock's safe shot, you know you've got the fade. 220 yards facing Paul Dunn here at the 17th, and quite a long discussion between him and Alan Murray, his caddy, who's done so much to keep his young pupil grounded. Between them, they've come up with a four-iron strategy, and he's going into a classic road hole pin position, flag tucked up there, lurking menacingly close to that awful bunker. Is that, is that tight to the bunker? No, it is not. That is a masterful stroke from Paul Dunn. That is fearless. He was told to commit to it by... His caddy's coach executed well, and didn't he do just that? Well, 
that was impressive to say the least. It's quite a scary shot. The amateur who leads the open. Nice company in Jason Day, but what a shot that was. A four iron into the, the road hole, right to the heart of the green. Huge grandstand to the right of the 17th, and they will bring him in. certainly seems to be in that bubble that all sportsmen revere and cherish. What a cheer there'll be if this one goes in. Beautifully struck. Perfect pace. Just a fraction offline. What a well-played hole. Well, it's looking at the moment, there's every chance of being the last group tomorrow. Now that's something for an amateur. Let alone a, well, 22-year-old, let alone an amateur. Nearly recording a birdie on the 17th itself indicated the level of Dunn's golf and the furore building around the Irishman's championship chances. All before a short par putt on 18 for a round of 66 on the old course in the open. He has a startled look. He's a, he's a wonderful project. This is how you remember Justin Rose at Birkdale, Royal Birkdale those years ago, hold the picture cost some 30 yards. But he was a 17-year-old amateur. Very few outside of Hampshire had heard of him, but uh, oh, wonderful. Just another game of golf on a Scottish links is how Dunn's caddy described this round to me on the 18th tee. You wait till Do you we... believe him? <laughs> you wait till he's in the same position if he is tomorrow. Come on, young fella. Just right of centre with a little bit of pace. Well done indeed. Very good. He's got all the right moves too. Maybe to the uh, lovely touch. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Same tomorrow, sir. Difficult to believe he's uh, well done what he's done today because uh, I mean that was a steely performance when you're right at the top of the leaderboard. Unbelievable, really. Yeah, it was incredible. You know, it was that day was the most enjoyable day I think I've had in my whole life. So um, it was brilliant. Every shot I hit, I had the I was hearing my name uh, shouted from the crowd. So. Yeah, I was really happy. I was happy with the way I played, especially uh, on the back nine. And um, uh, now it was it was just really enjoyable. You know, uh, the atmosphere was brilliant. It was great to play with Louis. You know, he's such a good player, and I could learn a lot from people like him. And just really enjoyed it. A Sunday 66 for Don, albeit in the third round of the Open, was no doubt one of the greatest rounds by an amateur in the championship's entire history. Not just battling to make the cut, nor just vying for the silver medal, Paul Dunn found himself tied for the lead in the open, at 12 under par, and in the final group, in the final round. He was even starting to be recognised, as himself. Yeah, well, it's, it's weird as well, because I, you look into the crowd and you know them all. <laughs> you know, um, but the start of the week, so I was wearing 
all Under Armour gear that week. So I like I, I knew an Under Armour rep at home and he'd given me clothes for the week and I'd I was wearing them and on the, the Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I remember all I heard from the crowd was, Oh, there's Jordan Speed. Like Jordan Speed's nearly a foot taller than me, you know. <laughs> but it was just I had my head down and the all they saw was the Under Armour hat and the Under Armour gear. So, you know, I think when Sunday night was probably the first time when people were like, Oh, there's Paul Dunn, you know. And that was the first time in my life that that had ever happened. So it was weird. They're all new experiences, you know. We're arriving at the course and having to allow 15 minutes extra from when you arrive because you have to sign a few autographs, that sort of thing. That was all pretty new to me. So, yeah, I know there was there was a lot of nerves. Uh, how did I feel? I felt good. I slept well. Like, we finished late on Sunday. And then as soon as I finished, we had... I had quite a lot of media to do different interviews and then I had to do like the press conference and then after the press conference uh, lots of people from radio wanted to talk to you so you were kind of doing those individual ones uh, so me and my family ate in the St Andrews clubhouse uh, we ate dinner but it was probably half eight before we got dinner maybe nine and it was so Irish because like you're supposed that was the players lounge of the week and you're supposed to have one or two people I think it might have been two guests you're allowed in and there was ten of us at the table you know some somehow we managed to pass the slip the passes back around security into the next person and they got in and yeah like my dad figured figured it all out um so and by the time we'd ate we ate food yeah half eight and then by the time we got back to the house there kind of so much adrenaline that when you finally sit down you know you just you're so tired so i i did sleep really well like i woke up earlier earlier than i would have wanted to i think i got up at about half six or seven you know, and normally I wouldn't have any problem sleeping until 10. So um, there was a few hours to kill the next morning and a lot of nerves. But like, I remember my overall thing being that I thought I was going to win. Penny for his thoughts though, eh? <laughs> Tell you what, it, will he allow himself to think, is it possible? Can I do it? And nothing else really came into my head. Like I didn't think that there was... I, I didn't care if I came second or fifth, you know. At the, by the time this had come round and I'd been, had my coach in my ear all week telling me I was going to win, you know, and then it kind of started to happen. And then you hear all the stories going on about, like, no amateurs won since whatever, that, yeah, I just thought it was going to happen. Dunn came out on Monday ready to play and on target for his scheduled score of 16-under. But just before teeing off in the final round, a few spots of rain that Dunn had managed to avoid all week, until that point, changed everything. Do you know what, though, on the Monday, I remember I went to the golf course and a very strange thing that I was, I was really struggling in playing in the rain at the time. So when I was a kid, I used to have a problem kind of re-gripping the club. So I, in, I have an interlock grip and that, that connection of the, between my, my right pinky and my, my left index finger. I used to keep re-gripping and re-gripping, a little bit like Sergio's problems. And for whatever reason at the time when it was raining, I was really struggling to get a feel for that sitting in the right way. And it would always make, my right hand would slip through impact and it would, it would move quite, quite weak. So I had quite a high right miss when it was raining. And now this hadn't entered my head. I was just, I got to the golf course and I did the autographs before and uh, I went to the putting green, hit some putts, my putting stroke felt great. 
hit some shots the ball i was hitting the ball lovely coming right out the middle the flights that i was going for and i was getting i was excited to go and then the last bit before i was going i was hitting some bunker shots um hitting some chips and it just started to rain and for whatever reason it just flipped my brain into like oh no you know i didn't i didn't think it was gonna rain today and then i you know immediately started thinking about the shots that i hit when it starts to rain so to play well in a tournament you have to be mentally ready for anything and like i still think i could have won that tournament but everything would have had to go my way you know and i definitely wasn't in a mental place to deal with too much adversity and still win. Just Hazen is there and Paul Dunn they played together yesterday and they go out today 12 under par. Won the last champion here and the other a 22 year old amateur. And now for a, a shot where a young man might shape his life. On a tee from Ireland, Paul Dunn. Looking forward to this round as well is uh, Ken Brown and Peter Alice. Thank you, Andrew. A great moment for this young man. Can spend his final tenant standing the team all day. Rousing welcome for the final pairing going out. The last amateur to win the Open Championship was Bobby Jones in 1930. Paul Dunn looking to become only the fourth amateur in Open Championship history to win it. Well, don't know what to say about that one. I think he hit the ground about a foot behind the ball and it stopped short of the water. God. Now he's left with a horrid one now. My second shot in the first was a was a, I hit the wrong club. I was between, I think I was between wedge and nine. You know, and uh, like if I hit a perfect wedge, it was the perfect club to hit it stiff. But it was, the pin was just over the burn. And like you have to have half a St Andrews behind. You know, and I could have just knocked down a nine iron and uh, hit it 30 feet long and got off to kind of a steady start. and. I tried to hit the wedge too hard and came up short because of it. So that was a bad decision. You know, I chased it too early, probably. You know, so between that and then everything that happened on the second, it kind of, it, it flustered me, you know, and I, I didn't deal with it very well. Don's approach on the first came up short of the burn and yielded a bogey. And on the second tee, things suddenly appeared to be going downhill very quickly. Phil? I'm a bit concerned here. What is going on? He's marking another ball up. So I had quite a high right miss when it was raining. Yeah, that, and that, that happened and I, I, I didn't get off to a good start because I hit that shot that I was worried about off the second. I, yeah, it's, it's just... Um, well, you know, you put him into a situation like this, he's bound to be ridiculously nervous as he showed a, a little bit on the first hole. His, his first tee shot went so far right, no one even saw it. So I actually think it's it's right of all the trouble. So so probably we'll find it. He had his second tee shot was three off the tee, and that went right as well. That could be in the gorse, and now playing five off the tee. That's done scuffling in the bush. Uh, if he's gone wide enough, you can see that strip of course. It's about 20 yards wide. He might have found one of them, that's for certain. 
Yeah, it looks like it is the situation when I originally said his first tee shot went so far right that he was right of all the trouble. And, um, and that's exactly what the situation is. So this is his original tee shot, so he, he, he will now be playing his second shot, is that correct? This is definitely his first tee shot. He will be playing two towards the green, Oh, yes. well done. Thank you, Phil. Well, he hit it nicely. Oh, unlucky. Stuck in the front, absolutely stopped stone dead. What a party shot. Amazing to be there in two. He must have been thinking at one moment he was going to be in double figures. He's getting plenty of encouragement. I'm not sure it's doing him all that much good. He's got to just steady if he can. Wouldn't this be an amazing par for Paul Dunn if he was to roll this one in? He's going to get a huge cheer if he does roll it in. Going to break a little left on him. This would do him the world of good to see this disappear. Well, it could have been a lot worse, but that's done his confidence no good. At the moment, it's not a joy to watch. In the end, a five on the second was not too bad a result. But Don had already doubled his bogey tally for the entire week and found himself behind the eight ball. However, superb bounce-back birdies followed on the third. Now, come on, this is a big one. And the fifth holds to get back to 12 under for the championship and right behind the leaders. Oh, it's going to be deafening if Paul Dunn rolls his birdie in. Some of the members from Greystone are here shouting. Well done, well done. What we call a settler. Settler, yeah. Don had further chances for birdie over the next few holes, including on the seventh and soon after on the ninth. Go on, go on. Oh, lucky. Oh, very good effort. Stays at 12 under. A very creditable 36 out, do you think, Peter? But a number of close calls meant Dunn could not better his score through nine holes. And after finding trouble on the tenth, going back to 11 under, Dunn already felt his chance to win had gone. And with it, the wind in his sails had been lost. You know, and then it was in my head that I was a couple over through two and everyone else is four under through nine. You know, front line's playing easy. And I did pick a couple of birdies up and I got it back to level par through nine, but by the time I'd made the turn, I, I didn't believe I had a chance to win. Thought it was gone. And then by the time that had gone, I, had, I really had no interest in being there. <laughs> you know, it was a very strange feeling, you know, because you kind of had this build up all week and it was like the disappointment hit me, but I still had nine or 10 holes to play, you know, and you kind of just want the ground to swallow you up. Come on, young fella. Oh, six. Steady, you might miss one of those. So all a learning. I wonder how many people are going to say to this lad, it's all, you played very well, it's all a learning curve. Yeah, so like as nine holes go, that back nine on Monday really wasn't enjoyable, you know. But the week as a whole was, it, it was great and a, a really big learning experience for me. But I do have, still have a little thing in my head that I wish I could go do it again, you know. Yes, if it runs. 
Well, that's a 78. Got off to a bad start. A few good shots in the middle, but four days to remember, young Paul. Lots to ponder. Sport can be very cruel. As the dust settled on the 144th Open Championship, with Zach Johnson winning the title in a playoff, a closing 42 on the back nine left Dunn with a closing 78, eventually finishing in a tie for 30th at six under par. In the end, Dunn's total wasn't enough for the silver medal either, astonishingly finishing as just the fourth highest placed amateur in the highly competitive field. But those numbers don't tell half the story. One that Dunn knows could, on another day, have had a different ending entirely. <laughs> I remember finishing and I went into the locker room and I was, you know, I was upset because I'd just come off. Like, I knew that was, I, I knew I didn't do myself justice, you know. And like it was almost immediately after I knew that I, I just didn't deal with it very well, which kind of upset me more than playing badly, you know. And I was in the locker room sitting down on my own and uh, Ricky Fowler actually came over to me and, and told me how impressed he was and how I played and how I'd handled myself and all this. And that, that was nice, you know, because like he would have been someone I would have looked up to as well. So to kind of get that little pat on the back after when I was feeling pretty bad about myself, it was nice. But I, I, def- I needed kind of 45 minutes alone when I finished before I kind of could go up and face everyone. <laughs> so... And afterwards, I remember going back to the house and obviously with so many people from my hometown there, they were all out. It was a holiday for them. So they were out having a few drinks. And again, I didn't want to go, you know, and I was talking to my brother and I was, I said it to him. I said, like, I, I just don't want to go out and see everyone because I know what the questions are going to be and I don't want to answer them. And But he, he was like, I know you don't want to go, but people kind of made the effort to come and see you. So you, you should go, like, come with me and have two drinks and... If, if you don't like it, we'll just come home. So I did, and I had a great night. <laughs> um, to which I remember most of it, but not all of it. But I would have started at the Dunvegan. Like any night in Sanders, it always ends up in um, it always ends up in the Vic. <laughs> so I, I'm, I, we started at the Dunvegan, and we bounced around a few places, ended up in a kebab shop or two, and probably every establishment they have in the town, but it was good fun. <laughs> Worth the hangover. No amateur had won the Open in 85 years, and so it continued that way. But Dunn had shown the world his immense talent at St Andrews and was ready to turn pro. But not before ending his amateur career in style with a Walker Cup victory. Yeah, for sure. It gave me, it, it gave me an ego turning pro. That, not in a bad way, right? In a good way. Because, I mean, you need, you, you need confidence in golf to play well. So... I, I did get offers straight after the tournament to into some European tour events if I turned pro, and I didn't want to turn pro. I wanted to play the Walker Cup. I knew if I didn't play it, I might look, I might look back and regret not playing it. And we had a great group of Irish guys, and it looked like we were going to have more than ever on the team, and I'd known them a long time. I wanted to be part of that with them. So I played the rest of the summer as an amateur, and I remember going into the events just... It's not like I, I, I thought I had to win them, but I thought I was as good or better than everyone playing it. And by the time I got to the Walker Cup week, I really wanted to win. You know, you kind of want to be part of the team that, that wins, not just be part of a team. And 
but I was very much looking ahead to what was straight after it. Like I already had a run of events lined up when I turned pro that like the, the platform of the Open gave me. I got through Q School in, at the end of 2015. So yeah, it, it, the, the Open, what it gave me that summer was it gave me a vision past the amateur stuff. And I knew that I was ready for it. Don managed to keep his card in 2016 and play in the Open for a third straight year. But in 2017, the Irishman took a step up, with an excellent season culminating in a memorable win at the British Masters. For 2017, the goal was definitely to try and win. You know, and then early on in the year, I lost in the playoff, which was a bit disappointing. Um, but in a way, it was good because it kept my focus all season and on trying to win. I had a lot of good finishes leading up to uh, the win in the British Masters in 2017 was more towards the end of the season. Yeah, it opened up so many doors for me that like, I felt like it was moving into a new stage in my career, you know, and it felt really good. <laughs> a chip in on his very last hole helped Dunn to a stunning final round of 61 and a three-stroke victory over none other than Rory McIlroy. You know, the chip kind of went perfect and went in and, yeah, it was great, you know, good memories that I'll have forever. Progressing well in his career, the Greystones man looked to be on track to reach the top of the game. But just at the wrong time, an injury hit, which had unfortunate and prolonged consequences. Yeah, so I, like I have, I've had injury problems recently enough. I had to get surgery back at the end of the 2019 season. And since then, I think with the injury and everything leading up to it and and then trying to, to rehab it and come back. You see, was, I had a surgery on my hand and the problem is the blood supply to the hand isn't very good. So it's very hard to put timelines on how long it'll take. So, you know, I was, I was hitting some chips very early, maybe three months after, but then I couldn't hit a shot. And then I'd come back and I'd hit a few shots, it would feel good. And then the next day it would be like aching and paining and I wouldn't be able to move it again. So it was, it was a constant process of trying to find out what the, limits are and not push them because as soon as I pushed them I got set back it was probably I'd say 13 or 14 months before I could feel like I I had a free I, I was free to practice and play as I wanted to and then playing through all of it put me in really bad habits so that's the one thing I've kind of been fighting since then is like certain movement patterns that I was put in by trying to protect it have kind of put my swing in a place where I'd never seen it before and I didn't quite know how to fix it. So now I feel like I'm starting to get a, a handle on how to, on, on, on what needs to be done to fix it. And I'm starting to see that turn around. So that's exciting because when, you, when you're struggling and you don't know why and you don't know how to fix it, you feel like you lose control. 
And when you lose control, then you kind of start questioning, why am I even bothering with this? You know, because every bit of effort I put in doesn't work. Uh, and all I'm doing is frustrating myself. So yeah, I feel good going forward, but it's definitely a new challenge that I had to face that I didn't think I would have to really face ever in my life. Because I've never really had an injury. That's just the way it goes. I'm, I'm happy looking forward now that obviously I don't have a as good a platform to, to get into tournaments now that I would have a couple of years ago. But I really feel like my game and my head's in a good place to, to play well in whatever tournaments I, I can get into and then kind of try and build my career up again and, and move past where I was in 2017, 2018. Now ranked outside of the world's top 1700, Dunn has lost form and confidence due to his injury. But with promising signs in recent times, the talented 28-year-old can envisage a path back to full tour status and potentially to the top of the game. And there is no question in Dunn's mind that he can and perhaps one day will reach that pinnacle and win the Open Championship. Yeah, of course I can. <laughs> I wouldn't play the game if I didn't, you know. Hopefully I will. I guess we'll find out, you know, I'll be able to tell you better in 20 years, but I definitely can. <laughs> In 2015, Dunn gave fans of the Open a rare treat, showcasing his skills and mixing with the world's best in a rare occasion where an amateur had a genuine chance to win the Open. And with the strong recent history of Irish success in golf's original major, the 28-year-old Dunn will be hoping to one day address his unfinished business in the Open and lift the claret jug. What better place to start and at St Andrews for the 150th Open. I'm competitive, so I like when someone says, I bet you can't do this, you know, kind of pushes my buttons. And I, I thrive if I have that feeling when my game is good. But yeah, like obviously I want to qualify for the Open every year. Uh, being in St Andrews, especially for me, I know I can play well there. Every time I play St Andrews, I play well. You know, I like the golf course, it suits my eye, it plays to my strengths. And like the Open, how many chances will you get to play it there? You know, if you're in the Open every year, you might get to play three or four in your life. So definitely a motivating factor. It would be a big target for next year to make sure I'm back there. And, you know, hopefully my game's in good shape and I'll have a chip on my shoulder going into that week. Penny for his thoughts though, eh? <laughs> Is it possible? Can I do it? with thanks to Paul Dunn. Narrated by me, Shane O'Donoghue. Written, produced and edited by Chris Lewis. Executive produced by Paul Sutcliffe. Want to keep up to date with the latest news on the Open Podcasts, as well as enjoying films, articles, quizzes and much more? Get the Open app today to experience the greatest stories in golf all year round. This has been an original audio production from The Open.